a lot of great things happening in the church. And we started a brand new series three weeks ago on Easter Sunday called Reach For It. And we're talking about reaching for him. We're talking about reaching out for relationships, reaching for purpose. And today I want to talk to you about reaching out. Everybody say reach out. Reach out to make a difference in people. And I'd like you to grab your notes, reach out for your notes, reach out for a pen. And today we're going to jump right in, but let's just pray and ask God to bless our time together, shall we? Lord, we love you. We're so overwhelmed when we think about the grace that you've shown us and your mercy that is new every morning. We're grateful. And I pray that we leave this place changed, different than when we came in, filled with hope, filled with healing because of you. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, let me hear a strong amen. I was speaking in a church a few weeks ago in Australia, and we had a day off, a half a day off, and we went shopping. I just want to let you know I'm a man's man, okay? I love to hunt for deals at the mall. <laughs> so we go shopping at the mall, and we come to one store in particular. It's a cool store, a lot of street clothes, street wear, and, and uh, I'm buying a few things, and you get a, a gold coin if you buy anything from that store, and you get to play a video, an arcade game. Not a video game, but an arcade game. And I don't even know what they call this game. I call it the keyhole game because it looks like this. Look on the screen. This is, have you ever seen this before? This is the game where you have a chance to put this key through the keyhole, and if you get that, there's some high-dollar prizes on the other end of that plexiglass. So there are some old-school Jordans there. There's some Yeezys, some expensive shoes, and then there's a $500 gift card to the store. And I say it to everybody, I'm going for that. I want $500 to spend on the store, whatever I want. So I start with the first coin. Now, by this time, people know I'm playing. There's only one arcade game in the whole store. So people are gathering around. They're now looking at me. They're all kind of cheering me on. And I put my first coin in, and the joystick goes left and right. But I don't know how to get the, the key to go up or down. So I've got 15 seconds left. I'm freaking out like, yeah, hey, this isn't working. What do I do? And this guy scoots me over and starts showing me how to do it. And I'm like, okay, I got it now. I scoot back over. <laughs> I get out of my way, right? And then he starts talking to me in my ear the entire time I'm playing. He's, he's asking for my coins. He's like, hey, can I get those three coins? Let me get those three coins. I want to play the game. I'm like, man, I'm trying to play a game. Back up off me. Back up off me. Crowd my space. People are clapping, cheering a little bit. And, uh, and, and so I'm trying to get this this, 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 this $500 gift card. Now, the first coin doesn't work. It, the key goes up, hits the plexiglass, and comes back. I didn't make it. Second time, the guy's still talking, distracting me, getting off my game, getting off my ear, getting me off my focus. And second one, hits the plexiglass, doesn't go through the keyhole, comes back down. Third one, hits the plexiglass, comes back down. Fourth one, hits the plexiglass, comes back down. Fifth one, I won. <laughs> Key goes straight through the keyhole. I mean, it, it, everybody starts cheering. One person's videotaping. I'm like, yeah, baby. That's how we do it. West Coast, California, in the house in Australia. Getting all cocky and arrogant. Everybody's screaming. I reach down to grab my card. I pull it out. I won $500 worth of protein powder. I can't. I got, I got the wrong thing. Like the guy was on my ear, got me off my focus. That protein powder card was right next to the $500 gift card to the store, and I got confused, and I got the wrong thing. 
I'm so mad. I was like, what am I supposed to do with $500 worth of protein powder? I can't take this back to California. So they gave me a duffel bag. <laughs> so dumb. I asked, can I get something? Can I exchange this for like some shoes? They said, no, you can get a duffel bag though. So angry because I got the wrong thing. I started thinking about this in life. If you're not careful, you can begin to start to think that you can reach for purpose by reaching for certain things in life, and at the end of your life, you realize you were reaching for the wrong thing. I don't want you to spend your life reaching, reaching for the wrong thing. As your pastor, I want to help you find the right thing. And many people don't reach purpose because they don't know that there is purpose for their life, or they're distracted, kind of like me in that, in that game. You get so distracted and you get frazzled and pretty soon you make a bad decision and you, you think that you won, you think that you've arrived and when you get what you've been working so hard for, it doesn't bring the ultimate satisfaction or fulfillment like you thought. As your pastor, I don't want any of this to happen to you. I wanna take you on a spiritual journey. That's my heart, that's my goal as your pastor, to take you on a journey to where you can connect to purpose, you can connect to meaning in life and you get it and it's, it starts to click and we wanna make the path extremely clear. We don't hound you at this church, but we will make the pathway extremely clear. And what I mean by that is every Sunday, every week, we tell you the four things we do and how to get involved. I feel like as a pastor, if somebody comes to the church and says, hey, how do I get involved around here? I feel like we failed you. If you have to ask, we failed you. So if, you, if you're not listening every single week, we're, we're making it so stinking clear and I want you to understand we got our four principles basically from several different portions of scripture. This is another way that it's said in Ephesians chapter one, a guy named Paul is writing to the church, a church of Ephesus, and he writes and communicates really my heart for you. He says, I can't stop giving thanks for you. First of all, can I tell you, I'm thankful for this church. Come on, clap your hands if you're thankful for the, for the church of God. I'm thankful for you. So grateful that people keep showing up. I'm so grateful for your lives and the stories here. And I don't stop praying for you, Paul says. I pray for you every day. Every week, I'm praying for marriages. I'm praying for jobs. I'm praying for, for, for increase. I'm praying for health and protection. I'm praying for you. And then he gets real specific. He says, I'm praying. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I want God to reveal something to you. But what is that? I'm praying that you may know him better. Somebody shout better. So then he goes on to say, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart, maybe you didn't know this, but your heart has eyes. It affects how you see stuff. May be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Can you look at me for a minute? Clarity is a great gift. Like when you finally see clarity, when it's life's been foggy before and you get it, you come alive. I was in the hospital this last week getting a checkup, and the lady who checked me in, she goes to the church. The nurse, she goes to the church. The guy who did the procedure goes to the church. It was kind of cool. So we had a little small group in the, in the hospital. And the nurse came up. She, she, she put the IV in. She's doing all this other stuff. And at the very end, she starts to cry as I'm getting ready to leave. And she cries, and I said, well, what's wrong? She says, I can't tell you how much this church means to me. Like, I came to this church eight months ago, a wreck. God has saved my life, given me hope, given me purpose. Now I've come alive, and I'm using my gifts to help other people. She said, you have no idea. Broke down. I got so excited. I ripped the IV out, just ran around the hospital. 
I didn't really, but I was excited. And we hear the stories, these stories all the time, but how many know they never get old? Because the gift of clarity is a great gift. God says through Paul, I'm praying that you know me. If you know him, guess what? You can know him better than you do right now. I'm praying that you know him better and that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What does that mean? Well, your heart is a filter for how you see things. You see things based on your past experiences, your past wounds, your past hurts, good or bad. It's, it affects how you see things. And we've got to have a place where we deal with the issues of our heart, the pollution that's in our heart so we could see. And the hope of your calling, number three, he says, the hope of your calling. Many people don't even know they're called. You are called. You're called by God to do a specific thing on the earth. And when you find out that calling, that brings hope to your life. Two great days in your life, everybody. The day you were born and the day you figured out why you were born. Like We've all been born here, but 87% of believers, Christians, have no clue why they're on the earth. 87% don't know? We want you to know. We want it to be so clear. And number four, he says, the glorious riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So God says, I want you to know me better. I want you to deal with the heart issues. I want you to discover your purpose, like what life is all about, so that you could do the last thing. And that is understand that you making a difference is not you doing this by yourself. You do this through the church. And Ephesians, Paul says another place, not in your notes, but he says, I want the manifold wisdom of God to be made known through the church. So you can worship alone, you can hear great preachers alone, you can give alone. The only thing you can't do by yourself is love people. And so the church is so important because that's the springboard in which God created this to take place. So there's a progression. And as your pastor, I want to take you on a journey. Because my heart's never just to give you information, pump you up. Like three weeks later, what was that about? I don't know. I felt good at the time, but I've forgotten it all, and I'm sinking. I need you to take some steps as a pastor, I want to help take you through some steps. Raising children, my heart was not, hey, let me just give you information, girls. Let me just give you information. No, it was a process of getting them to learn certain steps, to step, to take another step, to eat, to speak, to respect elders, to learn their calling. There's a whole progression. You ever been to a progressive dinner? It's where you eat at one house and you go to the next house, you have another dinner and you go to another place. That's what I want to do as a church. I want to take you, eat a little bit over here. Okay, finish that. Now we're going to come over here. We're going to grow you here. We're going to eat some more. We're going to eat a little bit more over here. And pretty soon you're growing, growing, growing. And there's four different things we do at this church. And I would like to ask you for your participation today. There's a progression. And I want you to do two things. Number one, identify where you are in this progression. And then number two, commit to taking the next step. You with me? Say yes. Like identify where you are in this and then just take one step, whatever the step is. The first step is I want you to know God. I want you to know him. Like I want you to know him for yourself. And the Greek word to know God is not, is not just to know about him. It is the Greek word gnosko. Everybody say gnosko. Congratulations, you know Greek. It means to know somebody personally, to know them intimately. Like if I said, do you know LeBron James? So everybody would be like, yes, I know LeBron James. You might know his birthday. You might know his shoe size. You might know how tall he is. You might know that he got whooped by the Warriors last year. <laughs> you might know a lot about it, but you don't know him. You don't know him. Remember junior high? Do you like her or do you like like her? <laughs> do you know God or do you know know him? I want you to know know him. I don't want you just to know about him. Come on, the devil believes and knows about God. 
and trembles. So anybody can know about God, but do you have relationship with him? Because you can go to church your entire life and not know Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is talking. It's a scary verse, but how, what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't let you know this? He said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do a bunch of religious activity? Did we not go to church and we prophesied in your name, cast out demons, perform miracles? I mean, we did a lot of religious stuff. And then I will tell them plainly, plainly, I never gnosko you. Depart from me. Okay, I don't want that to be said of any of you. Watching online, the family worship room, here in this room, I don't want anybody to hear those words, and we are giving our lives so that that would never be said of you. I want God to know you. I want you to know him personally. Okay, how do you know that you know God? Grace is free. How many thank God for free? We stand in line for some free stuff, don't we? Jesus says that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace that we say through faith, it's gift of God, not of works. Nobody can brag about this. It's, it's free. But, but when you actually receive that gift, you begin to do some things. First John 2, 3, he's pretty frank and upfront. He says, we know that we have to come to know him, meaning God, if we keep his commands. So knowing God is not about coming to church. Knowing God, that includes that. It's not about reading the Bible. That includes that. It's not even about prayer. It includes that. But it's about coming to a place where you actually do what God says. Like obedience is better than sacrifice, the word says. And so we come to a place where we know him. We know God. Well, here's an action step. I'm going to give you four steps and then four action steps to do for each step. Number one, I want you to know God. Write this down. And God says, I want you to be water baptized. What is that all about? If you've never been in church before, it sounds kind of funny, but let me explain the beautiful symbolism that is behind baptism. Baptism is this. You get into water. You're like, I've been in water a million times. Yeah, but never like this. You get in the water, and Romans 6 declares that the water represents a watery grave. And you go down into the water, and you're basically telling everybody, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going public with my decision. Come on, how many thank God that we, can, we have, live in a country where we can talk about our faith? I think we ought to clap our hands for that. Amen, everybody? Don't you believe the lie that you should be silent about your faith? Come on, the world's not silent about anything. We're not going to be silent about our Jesus. We're not going to be silent about the God who changed our life. We're going to tell somebody Jesus lives and he loves. And don't be weird about it. Don't be standing up on your cubicle throwing tater tots at people like, hey, Jesus loves you. Don't be weird about it, but just express and live a life that people are drawn to because they see the change in you. So, so what do we do? Well, you go into the water, that represents a watery grave. And anybody grateful that your old life can be buried? <laughs> and then Jesus, through the symbolism, brings us out of the water into a new life. That's what we come, we come out of the water like God's, I'm going to walk in this new life. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. They were baptized right away. We just had baptism a couple weeks ago. We're going to have another one next month, and you can sign up in the connection card. But I encourage you, take the step, because we can't say we know God if we don't take the steps that he lays out for us. So to know somebody, to know somebody, what does it mean to know somebody? Well, you got to spend some time with them. You spend time with them, and I would recommend that you pray. Pray to God. Talk to God. Some people get so freaked out. If you ask them to pray, hey, can you pray over the food? <gasps> If I asked 
anybody to come up and pray here. There'd be a few of you that are comfortable. There'd be a lot of you that would have a panic attack. Here's why. It's performance anxiety. You feel the need to perform and to sound like somebody else. And I'm here to tell you, I release you from that in Jesus' name. You just talk. It's not performing. It's not trying to sound like anybody. Some people yell. And you're like, man, I'm not a yeller. Well, then don't yell. Like, what, how do you talk? Talk to God. We, we, we don't do this in any other area of our life. We don't go to McDonald's and start freaking out like, oh, I, just, I, can't, I can't order like she did. It was so amazing the way she said a Big Mac in the fry, and then she supersized it. Oh, it's amazing. So articulate. <laughs> just talk to God. Amen, somebody. And then we don't just talk to him, but we, we let him talk to us. Read the Bible. 15 minutes a day can save you on your car insurance. Well, 15 minutes a day can save you from a lot of bad decisions. When you get your nose in the Bible, start learning what God's word says. <laughs> protection, it's protection. So spend time with them. You can read the one-year Bible. Download that app, one-year Bible, and read 15 minutes a day. It's amazing. Read through the whole Bible in a year. And then worship. Spend time giving God worth. He, or, he already is worth it, but in your heart, give him worth it. Give him first place. Some people think, well, why do we sing songs when we first come into church? Is it to wait for late people to get here? No. Worship is a key element and component of this church worship experience. I want to encourage you, don't ever be late for worship, man, because that is where we declare God's worth. We say, God, you are worthy. I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. You're my God. I worship you. Come on, somebody. That's why we clap our hands. That's why we lift our hands. You see us jumping up front. Why? Because we're trying to convince the creator of the universe we love you. Somehow I want him to know for sure. I know he knows, I know, but I, I'm, I want to be convinced that he's convinced that I love him. So spend time worshiping him. Get to know him. Number two, write this down, find freedom. Find freedom. This is a big step where you find freedom in your life. And, and a lot of times, well, let's go back to the verse, our theme verse. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. Okay, listen, again, your heart has eyes. How you see things is filtered through your heart. Bad experiences, pollution, there's something that we got to clear up our heart with. But now that I know God, now I can, I can attract the power of God to help me in my life. Because how many know this to be true? You can be saved and still have issues. Turn to tell somebody, I've got some issues. I've got some issues. You can be saved and still have some addiction. You can be saved and still have some bitterness. But now you can call on the name of Jesus to break that in the name of the Most High God. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart. Like above everything else, guard your heart, for out of it springs the issues of life. So we all have issues. And as long as these issues are in your heart, you can't see the next two things I'm going to give you. I want to help you get the heart pure, get the heart clear so that you can see the next ones. And here's how it happens. You want forgiveness? You go straight to God. 1 John 1, 9, not in your notes. I'm giving you a lot of freebies. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to God. He says, if you do this, I'll, I'll forgive it and cleanse it. But then there's not a verse that says, and I'll promise that you never struggle with that again. How many would like that verse? There is a verse to help with it. It's James 5, 16. Confess your sin one to another, each other, and pray for each other, and you will be healed. Forgiveness, God. Healing, still God, but he provides an avenue by which this takes place. It's relationship. 
He says, when you get in some relationship with some people, you start praying for some people, you start, like other believers going the same way as you, something will bring about a healing in your life. And a lot of people struggle with that. They're like, I don't wanna get, in, I don't know what to do. I got some issues. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you have issues, which you do, and I do too, where would you like to deal with them? Like in front of a thousand people on a Sunday or in a small group setting of people that you know love you, are committed to you, encourage you, pray for you. Small groups are so important. So here's the action step. Write this down. I want you to lead or join a small group. To lead or join a small group. Small groups gather for almost any purpose. You can gather for almost anything. Basketball to Bible study, almost anything in between. And it's just about your passions. What do you like to do already? And when you gather, there's something that takes place. It's like, hey, how's your week been going? Oh, man, I'm struggling at work. Hey, let's pray for, for this guy right here. Boom, a God moment happens. Because you think that the marriage group is about marriage and the, and the money group is about getting your money right and getting out of debt. You think that the basketball is about basketball. You'd be wrong. Because all of them are about the same thing. It's about relationship. You need four to seven friends in your world that are going the same way as you. And if you come here and you're like, man, this church is too big. Any church is too big if you don't know anybody. Somebody came and told me one time, they went to a church for a year, had 50 people in it, and then nobody ever talked to them. They left and stopped going to church entirely. And then somebody invited them to fellowship church. They were overwhelmed at first, and then they got in a small group, and they said, I have more friends than I've ever had in my life. I'm more connected. I now have purpose in my life. Why? Because they got in a small group. And be careful. Like, be careful. What I'm about to say, be careful. Because some people are like, I, I just want to go to a small church. Well, there's nothing wrong with the small church. We used to be one. I think it takes all types of churches to reach all types of people. We thank God for the churches in the area. Every church, we're working, we're on the same team. We don't have a competitor. The only competitor we have is the devil. Every other church is our friend, and we are praying for them that they would grow and reach more people. But be careful for when we say things like that. I want to go to a small church. I would ask, why? Because if you're not careful... You could begin to think, I want to go to a small church because I want to sing the songs that I like. Because I want the preacher to preach to me. I want them to serve me. I want them to know me. I want it to be about me. And if you're not careful, in the most unchurched region in America, the San Francisco Bay Area for decades, we can go to church our entire lives making it about us. Meanwhile, telling everybody else, you can go to hell. Can I preach the way I want to preach today? Be careful that we don't make church about us. It's a good place to start, but you can't stay there. We will push you out of that because that's the enemy trying to get you distracted like the guy in my ear trying to get you distracted, reaching for purpose like all you want to do is work on you for the rest of your life. God never intended that you worked on you for the rest of your life. He expected at some point you found your purpose. You began to reach out to other people. And I don't know about you, but Jesus Christ has changed my life. I am not the same. And because he changed my life, I want to be used to help change somebody else's life. The same love God God gave me, I want to now love somebody else. The same forgiveness he gave me, I want to forgive somebody else. The same way people served me on the day we showed up, I now want to serve somebody else who is far from God so they can experience hope and healing. Come on, clap your hands if you believe it today. Church cannot just be about us. 
and our preferences. I'm willing to lay down my preferences for the vision of reaching people. I don't come here for me. I've heard this sermon already. <laughs> our dream team doesn't come here for us. We come for you. We come for those who aren't here yet. I mean, it's, it transforms your entire picture of what church ought to be. And, and, and some people think about, well, why does the church have to be big? I'll tell you why, because heaven and hell are both realities. The church cannot stop growing, everybody. We will add more services. We will add extension campuses. We will do everything possible. Come on, how many are grateful this church didn't stop reaching out before you got here? And people were praying before you got here and giving before you got here and serving on the day you showed up to change your life? Now it's our turn to pay it forward. What a privilege to be a part of a life-giving church. It's making a difference in other people's lives. We now think differently. Now I don't want to just come and sit, soak, and sour. I want, to, I want to do life with some other people going the same way. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, hey, let's just think of ways. Let's have a brainstorming session. When's the last time you just sat down with some friends and said, man, let's think about some other ways we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works? When's, when's that been the topic of conversation at the coffee shop? Hey, man, let's just get together. Let's think of more ways we can motivate each other to love people and to do more stuff crickets. It's usually the gossip session. It's usually the complaint session. What would happen if we changed our thinking and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do? <laughs> you can kind of see the writer of Hebrews kind of taking a little jab like some people. I, listen, we're not legalistic. If you miss a couple Sundays, you're not going to hell, okay? <laughs> if you miss three Sundays a year, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But let's not let that be the norm. Let the norm be we're in church, we're a part of the body, we're, go, we're part of what's going on here. He says, let's not, let's not give up, neglect our meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, one translation says, but encourage one another, especially now, especially now that we see the day of his return approaching. Everything we can do to get involved. And you need, listen, you need four to seven friends. By the way, small groups, that is discipleship. If you grew up in church, like I did, discipleship carried a different connotation. It was, man, people gave their life to Jesus, and then we thought to ourselves, we gotta get these people in a discipleship class. So we put them in like a 40-week discipleship class, giving them a bunch of information, a lot of information, and we realized something, that the people were getting out of the class, and they weren't disciples yet. Because they got a lot of information, but they were lacking something. Okay, listen, discipleship's not information. I can prove it to you. Tell me the last five sermons you've heard in detail. You can't. I can't, and I preached them. <laughs> Tell me five people who've changed your life in a powerful way. Every one of you could spit that out right now. Why? Because discipleship's not giving more information. It's relationship. So we don't want to just give you information on Sunday. I'm trying to get you to take the next step to get in a small group to do relationship. Jesus picked 12 guys and didn't just give information. He says, I'm going to take you on a three-year journey, and those 12 guys changed the world. I want you to know what it's like to be in relationship with people. Number three, know God, find freedom. Number three, discover purpose. Discover your purpose. Every one of you has a purpose, and not every one of you knows it yet. So as a pastor, I want to help you figure that out. Romans 12, 6 says it this way. 
We all have different gifts, so it's different. Your gift looks different than mine. Mine looks different than yours. You're gonna reach people I can't reach, and I will reach people you can't reach, but together we'll reach a lot more. So we all have different gifts. Gifts, gifts, according to the grace. Underline the word grace. That word grace is not the, the grace of salvation, like the free gift of salvation. It's charis in the Greek. It means your grace gift. So God's given you something that you're good at, you're gifted at, you're called for. That grace gift has been given to each of us. It's different though. And your gift, if it's prophesying, prophesy according to your faith. Well, let's go to the next part. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, encourage the heck out of somebody. If it's to give, write a fat check. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Like he's trying to give an example. Whatever your calling or gift is, do that. Because for God to give you a gift and us not use it to reach other people, it's basically like us saying, I'm returning this gift. God, you can have this back in your face with the gift that you gave me. And I don't want that to be said of us. Are you following this already? Come on, are you following this, yes or no? So the grace gift, God graced you with a gift. How do I know what that is? Well, come through our growth track and I'll help you find that out. Write that down, that's the action step. Go through the growth track, attend it. It's four Sundays, four weeks. First Sunday is on the first step. First step is on the first Sunday. Second step is on the second Sunday. Third step is on the third Sunday. Fourth step is on the, such a smart church. Fourth Sunday. Because you're good at something. You're a 10 in some area. You may not be a 10 everywhere, but I know who made you. And God doesn't make junk. So some people are worried, freaking out, like, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, let us help you. Give me four weeks to help you discover that. Because every one of us has a purpose. Get through the growth track. And, and this, again, this is not discipleship. It doesn't get you fully mature. It's just a springboard. Remember, like, the, the gymnasts? The gymnasts, they run. What's that one thing where they run? And they jump on this springboard thing. And they hit that horse-looking thing. And they do a flip like a ninja. And then they... What is that thing called? The, the vault? They couldn't do that without the springboard. The growth track is nothing but a springboard to help you find the purpose, to launch you in the right direction. So you're running, running. A lot of people are running, running, running in life, but there's never, there's never a springboard to help them. So they just kind of, you ever seen somebody run right into the horse? <laughs> that doesn't look pretty. But that describes a lot of believers, man, because they don't have something to help them. I had one person over the last 15 years say, hey, growth track, I don't see that in the Bible. And I'm like, well, so neither are staff meetings, but they're helpful. <laughs> like, it's just to help you. If 87% of people don't know what their gift is and their calling, can we set up a little springboard to help them find that and launch in the right direction so you can do your life right and make a difference in people's lives at the end of your life? I want to help you. Amen, everybody? First Corinthians chapter 12 says it this way. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed, which most people are. Again, I'm saying this as repetition. 87% of people who go to church don't know why they're here. Listen, everybody, that's got to change. That has to change. 87% of the body is not working right now. We need the 87% to find out what that is so that 100% of the body of Christ can be working 
reaching, expanding, touching people with the love of Jesus. Number four, I want you to make a difference. Make a difference. And this is where we're gonna camp for just a minute, park here. And he says, I want you to know the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's a part of the church. Paul said, I want the, the, this wisdom, this amazing wisdom, to, manifold wisdom of God to be made known through the church. Because again, you can do a lot by yourself, but the only thing you can't do is love. Now, you need something to live for, everybody. Look at me, look at me. We're all living, but you need something to bring you to, to life so that you really live. And that amount of money you think would fulfill you, doesn't fulfill. That bigger car, the bigger house, that relationship, nothing can satisfy permanently but God. It's making a difference. When you do that, you come alive. And Jesus said in John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. That's, that's what brings God glory, is that there's results. And a lot of people are like, man, it's just about faithfulness. You know, God just, don't worry about the results. God just wants you faithful. I don't see that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, faithfulness cannot be faithfulness unless fruitfulness is involved. Tweet that. <laughs> like, where is that in the Bible? The, the parable of the talents? Remember Jesus came to three guys? It, it, like, he's telling a story. He's like, hey, this, this guy had three servants. He comes with all of them and gives them some stuff, talents, which, are, which is a sum of money, not just a nobility. He says, hey, I'm gonna go away for a while. When I come back, I want you to, to produce some stuff. Well, the first guy doubles it. Second guy doubles it. Third guy takes his one talent, his one, his one sum of money, and he buries it. So the master comes back, and he's like, hey, here you go. Booyah. I buried it. Kept it safe for you. Here you go. And Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant. Whoa, time out. It's a little harsh. Why, why wicked? Why lazy? Because you didn't do anything with it. How many would love for the people that you are giving your money for retirement for, your 401k, when you turn 65, for them to turn around and say, you know what, we didn't invest it, we just buried it in the backyard, here you go. <laughs> like, he was faithful with keeping it, but he wasn't fruitful. To the other guys who were fruitful, God said, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your reward, you've been faithful over little, now I'm gonna make you ruler over much. Said that to the first two guys, the one guy who didn't produce anything, didn't do anything with what he was given, is called wicked and lazy. Listen, I don't ever want wicked and lazy to be said over any of you. I want God to say to you on that day, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful with little, you produced little, you, man, you, you, were, you were bearing fruit, I want you to enter into the eternal party. I want that for you. So join the dream team is our action step. Join the dream team. What's a dream team? Well, it's not a bunch of guys who play basketball. It's everybody who serves at the church. They are the ones who come alive. They're the ones who are most connected. And I realize the most connected people in any church are those serving in, in small groups. So several years ago, I began to ask the question, how do we get more people serving in, in small groups? Because the church is doing well. We have 2,000 people on the dream team. That's amazing. Can we clap our hands for the dream team? 2,000 people serving at this church. Now that's exciting. Here's another number that is still concerning to me, and that is out of 5,000 people that come on a weekend, 
That means 3,000 are not on the dream team. There's something in you I can't even do until you're making a difference in somebody else's life. Matter of fact, science proved this. If you went to college, you probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's eight different needs that every human being needs, like we need inherently. And, and it's interesting because science feels like they figured this out. And number one, not on your notes, this is extra, it's for free. The first one's physical needs. Every one of us has physical needs. We, we need food, we need air. I would add chocolate. Come on, where are my chocoholics at? That's just a basic necessity. So we need physical needs met. If you don't get these needs met, you're gonna go on a hunt to pursue them somewhere to get them met. So number one is physical needs. Number two is safety needs. This is our need to feel protected. This is why you lock your doors. This is why you set an alarm. This is why you do things, because there's a need to feel protected and feel safe. Number three, there's a love need. Love needs. This is family. This is the need for relationship. This is the need we all have. Number four, there's esteem needs. This is the need inside of us to feel like we want to be approved. We like it when people compliment. Hey, great hair. I love your hair. I love your shoes. I like your face. <laughs> or whatever. But there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a need there. And when we get that met, it's, it makes you feel better. This fifth one switches. And it's a cognitive need. Cognitive is learning. There's a need for us to learn. That's why you like the Discovery Channel. That's why we like Animal Planet. That's why we like HGTV. That's why there's YouTube videos online. There's so many how-to-do types of stuff. Like you take the lip gloss and you learn it here and contour over here. And <laughs> Millions of hits. Millions of people. Why? Because there's a need to learn. And then, number six, there's aesthetic needs. This is our appreciation for beauty. We love the mountains, we love the beach, we love great buildings, we just love, we appreciate beauty. Number seven is what they thought was the ultimate, and that is self-actualization. This is pretty cool, because science figured out that this is where you realize your personal potential. You realize that there could be fulfillment, but there's, there's potential inside of you. This is our desire to play sports, this is our desire to win, this is our desire to, to exceed. We wanna, we wanna win. We know there's more in us. And for a long time, they thought this was the ultimate, but then they came out with the eighth one. Science said that the biggest need, the greatest need of any human being is the transcendence need. And that's where you're now living beyond yourself, where you're making a difference in the world. Can I say how wonderful this is, that science feels like they discovered this, really what they just did was confirm what God has been telling us for thousands of years in the Word of God, that the greatest need of a human being is not to get stuff and receive stuff, but it's to give and to make a difference. And I want to help you understand how important this is. Last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Let's put this on the screen. It says, all of you together, say together, are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. So we're all part. It's like the, you might be a pinky. I might be a toenail. You might be an elbow. We're all a part of the same body and we're working together. All of you together. All of you together. All of you together. Let me show you the impact 
that together has. Look on the screens, there's a horse here, a big draft horse and a little tiny horse. This is, her name is Thumbelina, Thumbelina. This is how intimidated sometimes we are when we look at other people who have been serving and growing in God for a long time. We can kind of feel small, like, man, I, don't, I just, I can never do what you do. And I don't want you to feel that way today because we all start somewhere. Here's a picture of a lot of us in life. We are just that wild stallion running by ourselves. Just me and the open road. I don't need anybody else. It's just a lie. You feel like you're the lone ranger. Well, guess what? Even the lone ranger had Tonto. <laughs> you shouldn't do life alone. You'll never get to where God wants you alone. You'll never fulfill purpose alone. You know what's crazy is that one of these draft horses, they can pull 8,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight, 8,000 pounds. Now, you would think if you had two draft horses, you could pull twice as much, 16,000 pounds, right? We'd be wrong because two don't just pull 8,000 apiece. They together can pull three times as much, 24,000 pounds. Are you catching the lesson on teamwork yet? Okay, wait, there's more. For two horses that can pull 8,000 apiece, when they get together, when they're trained together and they're collaborating together, they're coordinated, they don't just pull twice as much. They don't just pull three times as much. They can literally pull four times as much when they are working together. The powerful lesson here, ladies and gentlemen, is that when we work together, train, coordinate, we can lift so much more together. We can reach so much more together. We can love so much more together. We can leave a bigger impact in the Bay Area and the globe when we are working together. But I need you to know God for yourself. I need you to work through those issues in a small group setting. I need you to discover your purpose through our growth track. I need you to discover your purpose so you can make a difference. Some of you feel like spirituality is kind of flat right now. Well, just go back and evaluate how many lives you've been changing. I, I almost can guarantee you if spirituality feels flat, you're either doing it for the wrong motives or, or you, you have not been involved in changing anybody else's life. That's the greatest need of the human heart. God put it there. 